take you to our scripture. Uh, today we are in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear through the earth, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among, uh, among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The good of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Good morning, Grace Life Church. My name is Tommy Clayton. I'm the lead pastor of Grace Life Church, and I am grateful that you're here today, and I echo what my brother and fellow elder Cliff said. Happy Mother's Day. I want to take a moment and welcome and honor all the mothers in our congregation and all the moms who are watching from home via our live stream. May the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you, and may the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Let's take a moment to pray together, and then you can leave your Bibles open or your phone scrolled open to, uh, to that psalm. We're going to jump into that together. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for every mother here today and every mother watching from home. Please speak to them today powerfully from your word. Engage them and, and grip their hearts and fill their minds with divine truth, Lord, that overflows into their lives and is transformative for them. I pray that you would combat the lies that the world tells us about sexuality, about motherhood, about marriage, about our identity. I pray that you would help us to celebrate and protect the sanctity of life, both inside and outside the womb. I pray that you would strengthen uh, this church's partnership with the Pregnancy Center just down the street here, Lord. And I pray that you would widen their impact to young, frightened pregnant mothers, Lord, who are just shocked at what happened to them and, and want to consider their options, better options than the world offers. I pray for our nation and for the nation's leaders. Would you please give them courage to stand up, Lord, for the sanctity of life, to protect life inside the womb, to provide justice for the unborn and to support mothers. And, and Lord, I, I pray, especially today, that you would please comfort any here today who face the sadness of losing their mother or mothers who have faced uh, the loss of losing their children, Lord, many, many hurts, many aches uh, that only you can heal. And I pray that you would accomplish all those things in a way only your spirit can and bring healing to everyone in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So Psalm 46, keep your Bibles open there. Today's message is called Soul Care. And just to make sure we're using the same dictionaries, here's what I mean by so care. I mean the way that you manage yourself when trouble comes knocking at your door. What do you do? What do you tell yourself? How do you cope? Do you fight? Do you flight? Do you have a stiff upper lip and a clenched fist? Or do you just crumble to the ground and roll over and play dead? Uh, what should you do? Because the Bible has answers for us. And I've told you before as your pastor, I believe... If Christianity doesn't offer help in times of the, the, the worst crisis, the worst nightmare imaginable, which is what this psalm represents, the author had that in mind, then what use is it? What good is it? But we know that it does offer help. It does offer peace. It does offer answers and solutions and hope. 
And that's why I wanted us to, to take a look at this psalm today and talk about soul care. This is a psalm for everyone, but since this is Mother's Day and I don't always take the opportunity to do this, I think this has a specially powerful application for anxious, fearful moms. And I think there's a lot of those, even if we're not always honest about it, there's this anxiety and apprehension that's bubbling up and that's brewing and that's banging around in our minds and hearts, and we don't always know what to do with it, and we don't always get good messages from the people around us, whoever that is, on how to manage ourselves when fear comes. Being a mom can be, can be really scary. I'm not a mom, obviously. <laughs> I'm not a mom, but I have a mom. Hey, mom. She usually watches us on Sunday from Arkansas. I have a mom, and I pastor a lot of moms. I know a lot of moms, and I'm married to a mom. So from the time that a mother gets pregnant, anxiety just comes easy, doesn't it? Any moms out there want to amen me on that? <laughs> anxiety comes really easy. Uh, in fact, there's a lot of money to be made from anxious moms, as you well know. As soon as you're pregnant, you can go to the registry and you can sign up for all those swag baby monitors that are in like 1080i and uh, they have really loud volumes and, and they even come complete with this little alarm system. Now, it's, it's been a while since I've had a, a, an infant, but I can remember every baby monitor we had, it had like a breathing thing that you stuck underneath the crib and it was too sensitive. It would be 3.30 a.m. and the thing would go dee, 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 and I would just absolutely flip, forget mom. I would freak out and run in there and like be ready to do CPR on a baby who was perfectly at rest and breathing fine. Those things never worked for me. I don't know. Maybe I'm sure they've saved lives. I don't want to diminish that. But uh, anxious mommyhood is, is uh, quite a monetary enterprise. So you get the monitor, the swag monitor, uh, and then when your baby learns to crawl and uh, you got to go get the electric outlet covers when they walk. You need to go get the things that uh, corner protectors, doorknob safety covers. You with me? There's all these things to be, to be mindful of, to be afraid of. And then when they can eat real food, you learn all these things about choking hazards and grapes are from the devil and don't you dare give a hot dog to your kid and all kinds of other stuff. <laughs> Cut the grapes long ways, by the way. That's for free. Just a little FYI there. And then it's never ending. You live in Florida, so there's bears, and there's gators, and there's kidnappers, and our three-year-old toddler learned to climb 30-foot pine trees the other day, and we just had to give him over to the Lord in that. <laughs> and I have six kids, and there's a walk-in clinic, an Advent walk-in clinic just across the street, and I promise you, they know, me by, they know me by name. The first five times I took one of my sons there, they wouldn't let me go back in the X-room. Uh, x-ray room with him and he said they would ask me questions like is your does your is your dad hitting you is your you know it's like no I promise he falls down he climbs trees he, he does ramps on his bicycle lots of things to be anxious about and then they turn five yeah and, and then you've got to consider schooling options right send them off or don't or keep them back um, friends field trips fevers phones internet and then they're old enough to drive I've got one right now that I'm driving with that has a permit. Um, you know, Matt and I went on a we went on a pastoral visit last week. It was a membership interview, and on the way back, we're just enjoying talking, catching up, and just out of nowhere, just really, just a few feet in front of us, this this young man he turned right into an oncoming traffic, and this work van just nailed him. It hit that kid so hard it spun his his Kia SUV little SUV around. Uh, and, and it sent him in the opposite direction, and we thought, that kid's either dead or knocked out because his car was just kind of drifting, just rolling. And I thought, Matt, we're going to have to, like, jump out and go do one of those rescues, and maybe somebody will catch it, on, and we'll be famous, you know. We'll have to jump in and push this unconscious kid over and slam on the brakes. But he was fine. In fact, he turned into, like, a kangaroo quick stop, and he got out of his car, and he grabbed his phone. And I thought, he's calling 911. No need to do that. Who do you think he called? His mom. And you know what? You know who got there first? His mom. My memory is she got there before the, the 911 first responders did, and she was a mess. Why? Because that represents some mom's worst nightmares, a traffic, death by traffic accident. There's lots of things out there. But you don't have to be a mom to experience crippling anxiety and fear. Just being a human puts you in the crosshairs of fear because it puts you in the crosshairs of trouble. That's what this psalm really talks about. 
from the opening line, check this out. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. And that Hebrew word in trouble, it carries a lot, a lot, a lot. It's a very generic word. It means distress, adversity, anguish, affliction, and pressure. I just wonder, if we were honest, if somebody injected a truth serum into us on Mother's Day, how many of you, moms and dads or singles or whatever, kids, how many of you right now, there's some anguish brewing inside of you. There's some distress. There's some anxiety. There's some adversity. There's some affliction. There's some pressure. There's even a New Testament equivalent. Thank you. Thank you, both of you. <laughs> there's a New Testament word, thlipsis, and it means to squeeze the word used to, to squeeze grapes and get the juice to, to burst out of them. That, that would be the equivalent word in Hebrew. The sons of Korah writing this song, and this is a song. They're saying God is a very present help. That means he's well-proven. He's a well-proven aid in times of trouble, which is a lot of the time. You know, Job said this, man is filled or full of trouble as the sparks fly upward. Go to a campfire when it's burning down and hit it with a stick, which all kids do, on one of those dark nights outside of the city limits, and you see sparks fly up in the air. That's the, that's the image that Job gave. We're filled with trouble just like the sparks from a campfire. So many places trouble, anxiety, fear, apprehension can come from. And I love this psalm because it says, hey, wherever your pressure, your affliction, your distress, your anguish is coming, I want you to know this, God is right there in your midst. He's our refuge, not a refuge, not the refuge, even though those things are true. He's our refuge. He's here for you and with you. How close is he? You read the rest of the story in the New Testament, and God is inside of you. His Holy Spirit dwells within you. You're a temple with legs. <laughs> the Spirit of God you carry around with you. That's amazing. He's a very present help in time of trouble. So as clear as this psalm is in the, in the Old Testament, it's so much more clear in the New Testament. Jesus said, it's to my advantage that I go away. I'm going to send to you the paraclete, the helper, the one who comes alongside of you and eventually takes up residence within you. So, distress, adversity, anguish. Listen, we're going we're gonna to jump into this psalm because uh, our time is short today. We don't have time to wait in like we sometimes do. So just hold your breath and, and grab my arm. Here we go. So the first thing I want you to see is this. This is actually, this is actually not working. Here we go. This is actually a song. So often when you're reading the book of Psalms, you skip over a powerful little piece that we call subscriptions. Not like a magazine or a periodical. Uh, but this, the subtitle above, that's inspired. Did you know that? We actually know who wrote this and what it is and who it's for. Check it out. To the choir master. So what's the first thing you're thinking of? If I tell you choir, what do you think of? Singers, music, songs, participation. This is something collectively that you and I are supposed to do. This is a chant. This is something we're to sing. To the choir master of the sons of Korah according to... Alamoth, I have no, that's a, maybe a musical term or an instrument, a song. So this entire psalm, it's all 11 verses, is music. This is, this is something really powerful, and God wants to chase you with this truth and wants you to recite this not only for yourself, but to one another, that he put it to music. How many of you know that music is a powerful thing? Whether you're a musician, whether you can't carry a note like me, and I try all the time, I try to show off up here, but I... I I'm not an idiot. I can't sing. I know that. My kids can sing. My wife can sing. My sister can sing. I can't sing. I wish I could, but I can't. But I know this. I know music is powerful, and I know music can get inside your head easier than anything else. There's songs inside my head I can't get out. Why can I sing Ice Ice Baby by Vanilla Ice, but I can't memorize portions of Scripture? Why is that? Because music is powerful, right? I can chant the McDonald's song back in the 80s. I like a big Mac McDLT, a quarter pounder with some cheese. You remember that? How does that get up there and bang around? Because music's powerful. And I got to tell you something. There, God knows music is powerful. You and I know it, and so does Satan. Satan knows music is powerful. You know, Satan, it's said by scholars who studied Ezekiel 28, he was somewhat of a choir director in heaven. The Bible says, your workmanship was prepared for you on the day you were created. Your timbrels and your pipes, those are music terms. Satan was an angelic choir director, and he knows all about music and its effect that it has on us. 
I can still remember because I grew up in the 80s and 90s decades. Music back then, some of the most memorable. I, I checked this week. I'm like, what are the songs that stood out to me? And they all had a really powerful message that didn't always line up with the Bible. Can I, can I share a few of them with you? Check this out. You can't touch this. Anybody remember that? Now, look, if some of these, ha- I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just being honest. I'm not going to quote the songs. These were on the radio. You can't touch it. There's a message in that. I'm involved. I'm, wait, what's the word? I'm, un- I'm untouchable. I'm, I'm immortal. I'm, you, you, you can't get at me. Is that true? Aside from Christ? No. <laughs> I'm very vulnerable. You can, there's t- 10 million ways you can get at me, but you can sing that song, MC Hammer style, and trick yourself and lie to yourself until you meet trouble for the first time, and it absolutely demolishes you and crushes you. Uh, still haven't found what I'm looking for by you two. What's that? <laughs> that's, that's a, some people say that's a gospel song, but I don't really find any gospel in that song. It's preparation for the gospel. Everything out there is going to leave you empty and unsatisfied, right? Here's one, Losing My Religion, R-E-M, saying that. I'm a Loser Baby by Beck. That's a really bad message, by the way. But that was, that was a hit song when I was a teenager. You've got to fight for your right to party, Beastie Boys. That was a popular hit. <laughs> I think, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I want something else to get me through this semi-charm kind of life, third eye, blind. And then uh, you go back further, another decade, John Lennon. Man, he sang some songs that had bad messages. Remember Imagine? Yeah, for good reason. Imagine there's no heaven above us, no, no hell beneath us, no religion. <laughs> and a lot of people did imagine that. And, and that, that's, a, that's an unbiblical, uh, atheistic worldview. Songs carry very powerful messages. And listen, you and I at any given time are singing a song ourselves. It, you may not hear it on the radio. It may be just subliminal messages that the culture around you is telling you or that you're telling yourself. And the point I want to make today is God has a much better song for you, a much better message than the world has for you or that your fallen heart will will produce. Like, I've got this. You can't touch this. You don't need those musicians' help. It's already in there brewing around anyway. You need to take every thought captive. And what do you do with it? You replace it with a better song, with a better narrative. You know, you listen to yourself more than you listen to anybody. You listen to yourself more than you listen to me. I've just... I've just acknowledged that. I get it. It hurts a little bit, you know, but you do. You talk to yourself all day long. What are you telling yourself? What songs are you singing to yourself? You're singing something. God knows that music is powerful. Look, I, I want to I show you something else. Check this out. TG, I don't know that this system is going to work, the playlist thing, so you just have to help me out here. Uh, one of the most famous heretics in church history is named Arius. I don't know if you've heard of Arius. I don't know if you've heard of Arianism. It's a heresy that's still around today. It takes different forms in cults. But it says this, that Jesus Christ is not fully God. He's something a little bit less than God. Uh, And there's Arius himself. And Arius, no, that's not Arius. That's St. Nicholas. That's okay. Arius is the black and white one. It doesn't matter. They lived in the 4th century. There he is. Oh, man, Arius, my friend. I wish I could say I'm going to see you one day, but I don't think I am. He, he took his heresy to his grave. And listen, just so you know, heresy is something that if you believe it, you cannot be saved. It's that poisonous. It's that damning. It's that unbiblical. It's that anti-gospel. He believed that Jesus wasn't fully God. That's heresy. And here's the deal. Arius was a musician. And he lived in Alexandria, a bustling metropolis city uh, that would be modern-day northern Egypt. There were traders. There were workers. It was a huge city. And he, he decided that the best way to spread this heresy was to write music, man. And he did. He wrote all kinds of hymns. Apparently, he was a really gifted musician. And he wrote really catchy hymns. He would go. Uh, this is going to sound familiar. He would go maybe into the bars and, and, uh, and the pubs. He would listen to the chants that people were singing. And he would steal the melody. And he would put heresy to it. And man, it was memorable, it was engaging, it was short, it was catchy, and everyone and their dogs started singing his songs. So everywhere you would go on the streets, people would be like singing songs about heresy to themselves, and his heresy spread like wildfire. Well, 
This caught the attention of his contemporaries, the more orthodox people, and there was a major problem. So, you know, you hear all these councils that happen, and maybe it's confusing when you read a church history book. One of the most important and first church councils that were ever assembled is called the Council of Nicaea, and it met in the 4th century in AD 325, and they met because of this heretic right here. They said, we got to talk about this. we got to determine what is the nature of Christ, because this heretic is spewing poison everywhere. So they had a council, they invited Arius, and they said, define your beliefs for us, and we're going to examine them with an open Bible. And he started waxing eloquent on his heresy. And he went further, and he went further, and I think what probably happened is he broke out into one of his songs, and there was another man there, St. Nicholas. Now, you may think of St. Nicholas as Santa Claus, and he came to be known by that name, but St. Nicholas was actually a real early church leader. And he loved Jesus, and he believed Jesus was fully God and fully man. And as he heard Arius spewing this poisonous heresy, he clasped his hands. This is what history tells us. Over his ears, he couldn't handle it anymore. So I don't know how many of you know church history. This is pretty rad. St. Nicholas stands to his feet, runs across the council room, and does a smackdown on Arius. That's a true story. Now, listen. I don't, I don't know if we should applaud violence. You know, the, the, this was before Will Smith. This was, this was before the, the slap gate of the Oscars. Um, he did. In fact, there's, there, there's some early artwork that shows this. You can check this out. Yeah. Um, can you imagine being there? And they put St. Nicholas in jail, but the next morning they, they released him. And here's something really good that came out of that council. The Nicene Creed came out of that council. That was one of the first... Christian creeds that churches everywhere adopted, and they begin to chant that. They begin to catechize their kids with it. They begin to rehearse it in their minds. And everyone learned good theology, sound doctrine, and big God theology because of the Nicene Creed. So that's a little bit of church. I like to smuggle in a little bit of church history. Isn't that interesting, man? How music can be a powerful weapon for good or for evil. And I think this, is, this, this has been my prayer. I said, Lord, I'm not the kind of pastor that can, that can head up, hey, look, we're going to put this psalm to music, and we're going to memorize it together. I think a group called Shane and Shane, Matt was sharing, they already did that. Check it out on, on, on YouTube later. It's a powerful song. They contemporized it a little bit. But here's my prayer for you. This is one of the most powerful psalms that has blessed and kept the church for centuries now. And if, if you're looking, you're like, you know, I want to read scripture. I want to hide scripture in my heart. I really don't know where to start start here. This is a powerful psalm. It's 11 verses. I promise you, you won't get through the day without finding a way to apply this psalm. And it's easy, as it goes, I I find it easier to memorize this psalm because it kind of has a, it's a song and it kind of has a rhyme and a meter to it, even though it's from Hebrew to English. Um, So this is a powerful song to memorize and to sing to yourself. In fact, Another piece of church history, Uh, this was Martin Luther's favorite psalm. And so often when there were tumultuous times in the Protestant Reformation, when he was, popes were were throwing him down and were were trying to kill him, he would go to one of his contemporaries whose name was Philip Melanchthon, who was a very timid, very shy, very anxious man, and he would say, Philip, let Philip cease to rule the world. Come, Philip, let us sing the 46th psalm and let the devil do his worst. And you know, Luther wrote his own version of this. Anybody know what it is? A mighty fortress is our God. Have you ever sang that? That came out of this psalm, and it came at a tumultuous time in the history of the world. When it looked like the mountains were being picked up at their base and tossed into the ocean. And Luther penned this. So you can find your own version of that through Shane and Shane. But I, I would love to ask you as a church family, just give attention to this psalm this week. Commit it to memory. See what the Lord does there. So this is, uh, that was the point before the point. This is a song, um, and it's a powerful song. And I don't know if you heard when Cliff was reading that, he would say the words Selah or Selah, and he would pause for a second. Maybe it, was, it felt awkward to be like, did he lose his place? What's he doing? No, that's actually a word in Hebrew, and it, may, and it means pause, stop, reflect, ponder what you just read. Consider the meaning on this. Meditate on this. And there's three different places where we find the word selah or selah in this psalm. So really quick, that was a really long introduction. Now I'm going to give you a really short three-point sermon, okay? And then we'll, 
We're going to dedicate a couple kids and we'll be on our way. The three different places where we find Selah in that psalm uh, are the three points. Here they are. Here's the better song that you can sing yourself. What are you going to tell yourself? Number one, God will shelter me. God will shelter me. What does that mean? That means that he is a refuge. He's a strong place of security. He's the place where you can go and you can find power and you can find help and you can find security and you can hide yourself. He's a hiding place, right? And he's a much better refuge and a much better hiding place than whatever it is outside of him that you're hiding in, whatever refuge you're finding. And there's a lot that the world is going to offer you and that you're going to lie and tell yourself, this is what I'm going to go to. I'm going to self-medicate. I've always got this. What is it? What's your blank? Well, I've, I know things are getting tough, but I've always got this to fall back on. I want to ask you this morning, what's filling that blank for you? Because that's your refuge. Things are tough, but man, I got, I got a nest egg. Inflation's getting to me, man, but you know, I've put away a lot of money. I've been really wise and frugal. Uh -uh. Be careful. Be careful. If your refuge can get stripped away from you, it's unsafe. It's not a safe thing to trust in and lean on. Scripture calls that a tottering and teetering wall, right? What is it? Well, man, I know I got connections. Do you? <laughs> well, this is offering you a much better connection than, than I can promise you, whatever one you have. Or what is it? Is it your beauty? Is it your cleverness, your intelligence? Is it your job? Is it your career? Whatever it is, man, all those things can be taken from you, but this can't. This can't. God is our refuge. He's our refuge. He belongs to us. He's pledged himself to us. And I, what I love about this, he doesn't say that he's our refuge from trouble, as if somehow you become a Christian and then you get inoculated from trouble like a flu shot. It's like, dude, you're in the kingdom now, and guess what? You're shielded from all things painful and harsh. No, that's, that's not a comfort. The comfort is to know that when the trouble comes, and it will, it will, is that God is with you in the trouble. That's much, that's much more promising to me, and I always get the New Testament story about Jesus being in the boat with the disciples, you know? It's, uh, it's better to be in the boat with Jesus than outside of the boat apart from him, which is what Peter found out. So uh, that's the first thing, is that God will shelter us when the trouble comes. And, and by the way, th this opens here. Look at it with me. God's our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear... There's immediate application for this psalm. Therefore, we will not fear. I refuse to be afraid. Martin Lloyd-Jones said faith is a refusal to panic. It's a refusal to panic. The takeaway from this entire psalm, and especially the first verse and a half, two verses, is that I refuse to give in to fear. Even though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Now, check this out. This is what the Jewish author, the sons of Korah, are doing. They are picking the most secure, anchored, stable thing that they could possibly imagine in Israel, which was a what? Mountains. Can we we got a picture of that. This is an actual picture of mountains that surround Jerusalem. And when a Jew thought of security and stability, this is what they thought of. They thought of a mountain range. They thought there's no way that could, that could ever be moved. There's no way that could ever be wedged or leveraged away. I have that. And when we, we would think that way too. Earth, I mean, goodness, as long as I'm standing on a mountain or on a, on a piece of dirt. And then the, the Jew moves from that, the thing that's the, more, the most secure and the most anchored, earth and mountains, he moves to something uh, that's not. Whenever you read about the oceans or the sea in the Old Testament, know this, this will help you, especially those of you that, thank you, that's, that's the water, yeah. <laughs> That's actually the Mediterranean Sea, which was on the coast of Israel. So that's a good mental image. This is what the Jew thought of when he thought of the sea or the water or the ocean. Chaos. Something tumultuous, something wild, something dangerous, something unexplored, something mysterious, something uncontrollable. So the most stable thing, mountains, and the most uncontrollable thing. Thank you, there we go. Or the most uncontrollable, wild, dangerous thing that, that posed a threat, water. This is what a Jew is saying. Even though the most stable thing in your life is ripped up, turned upside down, and cast in the middle of the most uncontrollable thing, I'm not going to be afraid because God's right there in the middle of it. Now, I want to ask you a question because this is what this psalm is saying. It's saying your worst nightmare. So, I want to I I 
get in your head this morning. Every single person sitting in front of me and every single person watching from home, I'm going to tell you something that maybe you don't talk about at parties, okay? You have a worse nightmare. Every single person in here has a worse nightmare. Maybe you don't think about it. Maybe it scares you to think about. But I think the psalmist is saying, hey, let's get it out there in the open. Job, Job you, remember, you know one of the things Job confessed? When all of the evil fell on him, he said, the thing that I have feared the most has come upon me. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it's like Job was a human, man. He had fears that were real. You know what? They were real lies. They happened. The Jew is saying, hey, if the worst case nightmare comes to me, I'm going to be okay because I'm tethered. I'm tethered to the one who is sitting enthroned above all of it. I belong to him. He is a very present help. He is a well-proven aid and assistance during my worst nightmare. And everybody has one. I remember three years ago, a pastor in the network I was a part of, he was sharing this with our group. And I loved, I was a part of this network. Larry Kirk led it. And it was a place we could be real with each other. Pastors, you didn't just show up and say, how many people you got coming on Sunday? I always felt dirty when I would meet somebody at a conference and they would ask that. How many are you running? It's like, can we talk about something else, man? Who cares? Who cares how many people go to my church? How's your soul, man? How's your heart, you know? But it was the kind of network we were real with each other. And this guy said, guys, pray for me. My son's a diabetic and he has to have insulin. And there's some things going on medically and with our insurance. And it's not covered anymore in our plan. He said, and I'm, I'm not making enough money, and I'm not going to be able to afford this insulin. And he said, this is the, he's, he has the, the type of diabetes. If he doesn't get insulin, he'll die. He'll die. And it won't be, it won't be a, a, a peaceful, easy death. And then he said this. He said, guys, pray for me, because if something breaks with this insurance, he said, I'm going to get my son some insulin. I'll get him insulin. I don't care what I have to do. I'll do it. Now, that's the, that's the stuff that nightmares are made out of right there. That's real life stuff. That's Psalm 46 right there. That's like a cosmic disturbance. Things may have looked fine on the outside with that young man. He came and sat down with us, and there's a 7.9 earthquake going on in his heart. But you know what? We prayed for him. We read the psalm together, and he had hope. He had a God-centered hope. So that's the first point. What, song, what refuge are you, are you telling yourself, man? Are you singing poisonous songs to yourself? It's like, man, if things get rough, I always got this to fall back on. Well, what's, what's the thing you got to fall back on? Because that thing may prove to be not a good refuge, not helpful, not a refuge. I think a lot of fearful people can identify with this psalm. We all, we all have our moments when the walls of our life seem to, seem to close in, that cosmic disturbance that we talk about. But whatever your trouble is, Psalm 46 can, can be your psalm today. And listen, I, I believe this, and I believe the psalms teach us this. Every disaster you face is really only an examination. Because only false foundations can be destroyed in trouble. Can I say that again? That's good news, guys. Only false foundations can be destroyed in trouble. Only false ones. There's a story about a lumberjack a long time ago that was going out, and he was looking for a tree to cut down. And he started cutting down the first tree, and he noticed that there was a bird in the top of it, in the nest, and it was shaking. And he said, oh, man. So he took the blunt edge of his axe, and he hit the tree, and the bird shook. And he hit the tree again, and the bird shook. And he hit the tree again, and the bird shook, and looked down and said, oh. And he flew off. And he made his nest in the cleft of a rock. And I think so often in God's goodness and his kindness, he lets our foundations be shaken for a wake-up call to say, look, I want to give you fair warning. I want to serve you notice. You're trusting in something very dangerous that's very deceptive. And it's going to serve you just like a spider web would serve a boulder falling. If you're, if you're planning on that to somehow catch you, and protect you and usher hope into your life and meaning and stability and security, you're going to get hurt really bad when your worst nightmare comes true. Trouble can only destroy false foundations and destroy that myth that we somehow think we have control. <laughs> Man, we don't, have a, we don't have control, do we? Isn't that such a myth? And that's really good news because if we have control, look out. <laughs> Point number two, moving along here. Point number two is that he will satisfy and sustain me. 
it's interesting, man. In, in the first part of this, we see the most uncontrollable, wild thing, water, that's threatening and that's menacing. And then the next thing we see is, check this out. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the, of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. And that means the God of armies. That's the translation. The God of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. So the most wild, uncontrollable thing in the beginning is water. And then all of a sudden, God has taken that trouble, that threat, and he's turned it into something that satisfies us. Isn't that amazing? Has God ever used your trouble and turned it into something that was like a blessing? Something powerful? Something that you look, bat- you look back on and you say, thank God for that. Thank God for that sickness. Thank God for that relational conflict. Thank God for that financial hardship. I, every single person in this room could stand up and give a testimony about that. God never lets our trouble go to waste. He wants us to give it to him, though, guys. We've got to give it to him. God can satisfy us. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. A lot of scholars believe that the city of God in this passage is the church. God is in the midst of her, the church. I will build my church, Jesus said. Not me. Make that clear. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not, will not prevail against her. That is a promise straight from the lips of Jesus. I mean, what, what else could he promise and pledge himself to? The church is the only organization in the world that absolutely cannot and will not fail. <laughs> Everything else will fail. <laughs> in fact, the Bible says every nation in the end will turn against Israel. Isn't that interesting? Okay, streams shall make glad. The greatest fear and threat of a city under siege during that time was that the water supply would be cut off. And God said, you don't have to worry about that. I'm going to take care of that. Here's the last point, guys. I'm going to skip ahead here. He will save me. Or you could say he will rescue me. There are only four commands in this passage. Four verbs, really. This last part. Let's let's read them together. The last section here. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. There are only four commands in this, and they and they're Two sets of two that go together. The first one is this. Be still and know that I am God. No, excuse me. The first one is verse 8. Come and behold the works of the Lord. And the second one is be still and know that I am God. Now, this is always connected with God's saving act. Like whenever he told Moses, it's like, hey, be still and watch. Watch me deliver. Watch me drown Pharaoh's army into the river. And you'll never see his face again. Um, And he says that with Christ. And we talked about that last week too, about the exodus. God says, you stay in your house and you slaughter a lamb and you eat and you feast. And I'm going to put my hard hat on and I'm going to go to work for you. That's what Passover represents. That's what communion reminds us of. Is that Jesus did it all on our behalf. We did nothing. We did all the sinning. He did all the saving. And there's a call in this to come and behold the work of God. Come and and remember and reflect on what Jesus did on our behalf. And then the second part of that is the one I really want to reflect on. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And those words, be still, it's not just some passive, I'm just going to sit back and, and be lazy and, and, and disengaged and apathetic and cold and aloof. That's not really what that word means. This is actually attached to a, a Hebrew stem, a root verb. And it means to actively let go, <laughs> to actively stop striving, to actively stop striving, to surrender. It's, a, it's really a war term, and it means to drop your weapons, stop fighting, stop white-knuckling your life. You have to actively stop doing that, and then and only then is God going to reveal him, his, himself in a saving way to you so that you can really know that he is God, that he's Elohim, that he's the mighty creator. He's 
He's the warrior. Bree mentioned in her testimony last week that he will fight with you. He will fight for you and with you, right? This is an invitation to do that. And those verbs go together. Until, until you surrender, you're not going to be able to see the saving work of God in the way that he wants to reveal it to you. You have to be still in order to know that he is God. One person rewrote that and paraphrased it this way. Surrender yourself in order that you may know that I am God, that I am your refuge, that I am your strength. I'm your present help in trouble. I'm your comforter and your king in uncertain times. I'm your security. I'm your center of gravity. I'm your steadfast ruler. I think that that's a hard thing for human beings in general to do, and I think it's really hard for moms to do. I was talking about Sarah. I was talking to Sarah about this last week because it, I, I've always, I, I had an accident and I fell. I fell 28 feet when I was younger and I hit concrete. And thank God I'm alive and thank God I can still walk. So long story, I'll tell it, I've told it here before. But falling really grips my heart when I see my children up on high places. Even when I see my kids sometime after the service, just FYI, there's a nine, ten foot pit up here. It scares me to death. I wish there was something we could do about it, but we can't. So watch your kids when they're up here. I see my kids up there and my heart stops. And last week, Sarah said, look at, look at Cooper. And he was 20, 30 foot up in a pine tree. And he's three. <laughs> you can think bad parenting, but listen, that's just, I know every kid's different. But look, you know what Sarah said? She said, honey, she said, I've given, I've given that child to the Lord. And she didn't mean by that. <laughs> She didn't mean by that, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to protect him, I'm not going to, what she means is it's in that kid's nature to climb things and to conquer things. I, no telling what he'll do one day, hopefully, he's, what she's saying is, it, we, she was saying, I'm taking my white knuckle grip off my kid. We do all we can to protect our children, to teach them about danger, teach them how to climb, walk up, climb with them, climb down, but eventually, and maybe that's a terrible illustration, if it is, just let, let that one go, Okay. Whatever it is with you, it's like I'm, I'm dropping this white knuckle control of my life thing because I'm not. That's a mirage. That's a myth. And the faster I actively let go of that, I'm actually going to be able to really enjoy God and his saving work in my life and his rescue and that he wants to be a continual refuge to me and a fortress. That's what this psalm is really saying. And there's a power to that. Let me close with this. This is a really cool story. This is a really cool story that I read. So often we have this fight or flight mentality and God says to stop striving and to sit still and be quiet and sing this song. There was a nine-year-old boy named Willie Myrick and he was kidnapped from his front yard in Atlanta, Georgia, years ago. A man wrestled him to the ground, grabbed him, threw him into the back seat of his car, told him to shut up and drove off. For three hours, this kid sat in the back and he was absolutely terrified. And he remembered a song that he learned in church when he was a kid. And he started singing it. It was a gospel song. And he sang this song for three hours. It was the only thing that came to his mind. It was the only song he could remember. It was the only scripture that came to his mind was this song. And he sang it for three hours over and over and over. And the man either grew annoyed or he grew convicted. You know what this guy did? This cat pulled over and said, get out. And he said, what? He said, get out now. And basically pushed this kid out on the side of the road. And the kid ran to a phone and had the wherewithal to call his house. And he came and rescued him. Um, you got a hand at that boy, man. He didn't know who kidnapped him. He didn't know why. He didn't know where they were going. He had no idea what the future would hold. But he sang that gospel song. And listen, it may very well have saved his life. And this song could very well save your life. Because you're telling yourself something. There's some truth you're rehearsing and it's either poisonous and toxic and counterproductive or it's it's helpful and it's strengthening and this is true this is straight from the lips of God here's the gospel connection the mountains were shaken this was a worst nightmare that a Jew could imagine think of what Jesus underwent so that we could sing this psalm and know that it's true for us Jesus was shaken he saw the frowning face of God he didn't see his father he saw his judge he didn't have a refuge on the day. He had darkness. He had death. He knew what it was to, to have apprehension. He was sweating great drops of blood in the garden, thinking about bearing the wrath of God for sinners, thinking about his father turning his back to him. And yet Jesus set his face like a flint, didn't he? 
He was shaken so that you and I could be settled. He was cursed so that you and I could have the blessing of God. And he faced the rejection of his father so that you and I could be embraced and welcomed into God's presence. You can build your life on that truth. That is what Jesus Christ said. He said, anybody who hears these sayings of mine and does them shall be like, what? A house that's built on rock. So my question to you today, we're, we're closing this out. Are you building your house on the solid rock truths of the word of God and that Jesus taught us about repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and that God is your sovereign savior? Are you listening to telling yourself, rehearsing poisonous songs that are pointing you to other means of rescue and salvation and rescue and hope? That's, that's God's word for us this morning, especially to mothers. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for these truths. Thank you for the power of them, the clarity of them. I pray that we would find a way to, to just sit and, and be still and be quiet at some point this week, to open up your word. Maybe some of us, Lord, it's been a long time since we really grabbed a Bible, opened it up, turned our phones off, went to a quiet place, turned the TV off, turned the radio off, and said, Lord, I want to sit with you. I want to be with you. I, I, I want to be reminded how powerful you are, how weak I am. I want to remember all the promises you made to me. I pray that you would help them, Lord, just simply turn, turn to this 46th Psalm in the Bible and sing it to themselves or say it out loud to themselves and let these truths marinate in their head and, and just absorb into their heart and fill them with hope and resolve and fill them with joy. And Lord, if there's if there's anything that needs to be repented of today and confessed to you, Lord, we have taken refuge in things that dishonor you, things that can't possibly measure up to the promises that you've made us. We're, so often we're like Israel, Lord, we're, we're wanting a king, a ruler, a refuge like the pagan nations around us instead of taking you as our king and our refuge and our savior and our ruler. So I pray, Lord, you would help us just to sit as we sing a song of reflection, Lord, as we hear a, song, a Selah song, we would quietly ponder and and let these words sink in. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, listen, I think, Vitaly, you're going to come and play a song of reflection for us. And uh, we have a prayer team in the back. I just want to ask you, just do this today. You can certainly come, pray with us. We'd love to, to meet with you, pray with you. But I want you to sit and, and ask the Holy Spirit. Do this this morning. Ask the Holy Spirit of God. Say, Lord, will you please show me? If there are areas in my life where I am taking refuge in people or places or things or ideas that dishonor you and take away from your power and are robbing me of joy and robbing me of hope, just ask the Holy Spirit to, to reveal that to you and then confess it and ask God to change your heart, transform, to just replace those idols, right? Sometimes idols don't need to be killed because it's a good thing we're trusting in. But we're replacing God and eclipsing the power of God. So maybe spend some time in prayer as Vitaly leads us in a song of reflection. And then we're going to do something that we get to do a couple times a year. Matt's going to come up here and we're going to dedicate a couple of children in our church. And then have a couple of announcements and we'll be on our way. Vitaly? Please join me as we sing uh, this familiar hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us.
Amen. All right, we will have our parent-child dedication. Um, so if the Judkins and the Amadors, they, they can make their way up to the stage. And as they do, I just um, want to explain and make it very clear what this is and what it is not. Um, so these parents this morning, um, it's essentially them making a covenant or a commitment, a promise um, to to raise their kids, to, to dedicate their children back to the Lord, and to commit to, to raising them. It's a covenant with God, it's a covenant with their child, and it's even a covenant with us as their church um, that we would come alongside of them and support. Yeah, you guys can stand right here next to me. Um, and to be clear, this um, practice, this ceremony, whatever you want to call it, it's uh, it will not save these kids souls like they will still need to repent and believe the gospel on their own um, but it's essentially these parents committing saying we will cultivate an, an environment where our kids are invited early and often into a relationship with God so we want we just want to make that clear um, before we do this so parents I want to talk to you guys just a little bit give me like five minutes and you guys can listen, or you can just look at the cute kids and not listen to me. That's totally okay. Um, so today we have Kyle and Sadie Judkins with their daughter, Bella. And then we have Megan and Isaiah Amador, and they're dedicating their daughter, Romy. So just three quick things, okay, that I want to. I know you guys know these things, but it's always a good reminder. Uh, first is that these children ultimately belong to the Lord. And that's... A hard pill to swallow as parents. I know it is for me. Um, we have incredible influence over our kids, but we have no control. And uh, we want to use that influence as best we can. But at the end of the day, we have to surrender them to the Lord, which is part of what this is, this dedication. Secondly, you guys, as the parents, are the primary disciplers of your daughter. Um, we as the church, we want to help you, but God's design for humanity is that you as the parents are discipling your kid to know, <laughs> to know and to love the Lord and to stay on stage. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> she's been dedicated. She's good. Um, Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way she should go. And even when she is old, she will not depart from it. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, this was like the creed of the people of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall diligently teach them to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The point is, parents, point your kids to Jesus. Point them over and over and over again. Point your kids to Jesus. That is your job, just to be a road sign, a giant arrow pointing to Jesus. And model for them the love of God. 
model for them what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. And then be intentional. You have about 964 weeks from the time your baby's born to the time you're sending them off. So you got about 930 left, probably around there. That's about 220 months, maybe 215 now to learn them. And they're going to go by quick. So use them well. Use those weeks, those months well. Be present, be available. And be different than the status quo. Don't crush your kids with these unrealistic expectations that they can't shoulder. Love them for who they are. Love them where they're at, not just where you want them to be. And love them for who you see that they will become in Christ. And lastly, parents, you cannot do this alone. I hate to break that to you. You need the power of God and the power of community. And that's where we come in. So please don't rely on yourselves to pull this thing off. Because if you're relying on yourself, you don't got this. But you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So parents, you got this. You have the power of the Lord on your side. And we, church, we are called to help you guys. <laughs> yes, we will chase after your kids for you. Amen. But because you have a Holy Spirit, you are called to parent out of faith and not out of fear. Right? There's, we can think there's this big, scary world out there, and we have to... Maybe we can fall into that trap of parenting out of fear, but we can parent out of faith. We don't have to live in fear of the enemy. Psalm 56, 9 says, this I know that God is for me. So rely on the power of God and rely on the power of community. So we as Grace Life, we're going to commit to these families and to these young ones to encourage, to support, to give advice, to give a listening ear, to teach, correct, love, to babysit, whatever it is. Because this is a monumental task and effort that the Lord has given you. So this is what we're going to do. We're gonna, I'm going to ask you as parents five questions. And after each one, you'll respond with, we do. And then after that, I'll ask us as the church a question, and we will respond, we do. All right? So parents, do you recognize that your child is a gift from God, seeing yourself as your child's primary discipler, and acknowledging your need for God's help in that task. Do you pledge to expose your child to the gospel often, calling them to faith in Christ and repentance from sin as God provides opportunity and disciplining them for disobedience as seems best to you and seeking to demonstrate a genuinely transformed life before them? Do you promise to pray for your child regularly Bring them to church consistently to hear God's word and to teach them God's word at home. Do you pledge to model a tender heart of repentance towards the Lord when you fall short in your role as a parent? And lastly, do you then now dedicate your child to the Lord who gave them to you? Amen. Church, this is our question to you. Do you commit to these parents and to their children? to do whatever you can to help them see the glory, majesty, power, and mercy of God, praying for them, offering your time and service and ministry to them at Grace Life, encouraging them, and holding them accountable. Amen. So now we'll say a prayer of blessing over these families. And if you as a church could just, instead of, you know, we still have COVID and all these things, instead of laying hands, if you could just extend a hand out or place it on the seat in front of you. We want to bless these families. Let's pray together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. May you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. May you love your neighbor as yourself. Lord, strengthen these parents' hands for this task. Soften their hearts with your grace. Renew their minds through your word. Guide their steps by your spirit. Prepare them for every joy and pain, victory and defeat, excitement and monotony that parenthood brings. May they point their child to Jesus. Lord, bless these young ones. Raise them to be committed followers of Jesus. 
Raise them to be leaders in your church, Lord. Raise them to love you and love others. Strengthen their hands to take on the tasks that you call them to. Soften their hearts with your grace. Renew their minds through your word. Guide their steps by your spirit. Save them, redeem them, heal them, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish them, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, families. And we have gifts for you and certificates of dedicating your child to the Lord. Amen. Thank you, parents, and thank you, church family. You guys can make your way. And now we have a couple of announcements. First, Miss Joan Drake will make her way up here. Every year we get to partner with the Pregnancy Center, and she will share an announcement for that. And then I believe Mike will share the rest of our announcements. So here's Miss Joan. I'm very good at announcing. Uh, we provide free pregnancy tests and free ultrasounds to women who come to our center uh, thinking that they might be pregnant or they've already done a test and know that they are pregnant but need confirmation. And each one that c passes through our door, we greet and uh, with unconditional love, no condemnation, and no judgment. They're either very, very hopeful or very, very frightened, and we try to encourage them to take time to consider what decision they are going to make about their pregnancy. Uh, I'm the advocate for the women, and CJ uh, is part of the fatherhood program. We both coach women and men to participate in parenting and learning um, how to be a good parent and we have uh, educational programs that we give and outside we have as part of that a fundraiser that we do every year of uh, filling baby bottles either with coins or bills or checks or uh, through the church app and since everyone here uh, has been born we know that I'd like you to consider that it also is a add to it a thank you God offering that for your life on this earth because somebody gave birth to you. And also, um, we uh, will give individual receipts to when we count the money in the baby bottles or that has been given but we will write a single check to the fundraiser or to the pregnancy center so we can tell you the total amount that was uh, given. And that's all I have to say. <laughs> Thank you. Every month that has five Sundays, we have a special service at the end of the month. We meet usually somewhere else, right out here on the patio, sometimes cafeteria, um, sometimes in here, but we have a special service. It's coming up at the end of this month, the end of May. So all the families will be together. There won't be childcare that day, um, but it's a special time. We introduce new members. We do our baptisms, and it's a really sweet time. So that's coming up at the end of May. Hopefully, it won't be 97 degrees that day, although it might. So dress comfortably. If check your weather out before you come. If you're interested in being baptized, um, please let us know. Pastor Tommy or one of the elders, if you'd like to join the church, please let us know. We'd like to talk to you. And we're starting kind of a new, um, can't think of the word, but rhythm. That's a grace lifer right there. A new rhythm where we're going to offer a class for people who want to be members. 
If you're already a member and you want to come and just learn more about our doctrine, who we are as a church, what we believe, what our priorities are, you're welcome to come. But on May 22nd, 12 o'clock, right after the service, if you'd like to join on the fifth Sunday, you can come to that class and uh, Pastor Tommy and Pastor Matt will be walking through some of those key um, doctrines and things we believe, who we are. We also, this week, have no community groups because we're meeting together by gender. We have a ladies' gathering on Tuesday the 10th, a men's gathering on Thursday the 12th. So no community groups this week, but please do come and meet with the women, meet with the men. Uh, download the church app or hit that QR code with your camera, and you'll be able to find information where to meet, etc. Sound like a plan? Let's stand together. Mothers, we are so thankful for you. Where would we be without our moms, right? Get it? No? Where, where would? All right, never mind. I hope you have a fantastic Mother's Day. I hope that you show appreciation to your mom if you can. Show appreciation to your children's mom if you can. Let's say it together. I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent 